0: Good afternoon. It's Friday the 9th of April 2021, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Cold News. I'm your host, Mike Robinson. Joining me in the studio today, Patrick Henningsen from 21st Century Wire. Welcome to the programme, Patrick.
1: Great to be with you, Mike.
0: Um, Well, we'll get on with the big news of the day, Patrick, which of course is uh, the judgment in the European Court of Human Rights. Uh, with respect to mandatory vaccines. And uh, so just what's behind this? Well, first of all, uh, it involves uh, a Czech family, a family from Czechoslovakia, well, Czech Republic, sorry, uh, and others versus the Czech Republic. Uh, and uh, well, the press release says the Czech in the Czech Republic, there is a general legal obligation to vaccinate children against nine well-known diseases. Uh, parents who do not comply with this obligation without good reason may be fined and children who have been who have not been vaccinated are not admitted to nursery schools. In this case, some of the applicants have been refused administration, uh, admission to uh, nursery schools, while others had been fined for refusing to vaccinate their children. The court found that the measures c- complained of by the applicants when assessed in the national context had struck a fair balance uh, with the aims pursued by the Czech state, i.e. protection against diseases representing a serious risk for one's health. The ECHR cited The protection of others as the main justification um, for the exclusion of Czech children from nursery schools. Um, But of course, there's also the issue of the inalienable right of anybody to refuse medical intervention. And what's ironic is, although this is the European Court of uh, Human Rights, this is uh, part of the uh, Council of Europe and This, if you remember just a few months ago, was what the uh, resolution that they had made with respect to COVID-19 vaccines. I appreciate that the ECHR case isn't with respect to COVID-19 vaccines, but nonetheless, the principle seems to have been laid down. Uh, And this resolution was about the ethical, legal and practical considerations. And they said that with respect to ensuring high vaccine uptake, that they ensure that citizens are informed uh, that the vaccination is not mandatory and that no one is politically, socially, or otherwise pressured to get themselves vaccinated if they do not wish to do so themselves, Uh, that uh, states ensure that no one is discriminated against for uh, not having been vaccinated uh, due to possible health risks or not wanting to be vaccinated, and finally that states signed up to the uh, European Convention on Human Rights distribute transparent information on the safety and possible side effects of the vaccines Uh, working with and regulating social media platforms to prevent the spread of misinformation but nonetheless the key point here transparent information on the safety and possible side effects of vaccines and of course uh, what we're not seeing from the UK government or the British media is that final one but it seems like there is a definite disparity between the decision of the court here and the. the, the resolution of the Council of Europe.
1: The key concept there is informed consent, Mike. That, that's what it really comes down to. What I, what I think is interesting about the European uh, Court of Human Rights, uh, a judgment on this, they said that there's precedent should be given uh, in favor of the solid solidarity with the community. It's talking about uh, the need to vaccine. This is solidarity with the community. This is very much communitarian language. So this is a big departure from you the normal uh, post-Enlightenment uh, Western civilization, uh, sovereignty and so forth, mm-hmm. common law in this country. So I thought that was interesting. And, of course, serious risk to health, they're saying, this takes precedent. But what if, for a child, for instance, with regards to COVID vaccine, they're not at serious risk of any uh, illness to COVID? Statistically, it's near zero. So that really wouldn't come into play there as well. But it mm-hmm. seems, Mike, the media and politicians are just conflating all of this language conflating all of these together well and, indeed
0: and and the question then is are they going to conflate this judgment on this specific instance in, in uh, the Czech Republic uh, and make it a much broader precedent uh, well we may be asking why the difference in position between the court and the Council of Europe well the parliamentary assembly of course is inhabited by parliamentarians uh, and the court is inhabited by judges um, well I just want to highlight uh, this report here from the European Centre uh, for Law and Justice. Now, this is an NGO. It has a uh, UN uh, consultative status. Um, it is considered a conservative NGO, Patrick, and it's also considered a Christian NGO, but nonetheless. Full disclosure. Full disclosure, yes. But nonetheless, uh, what are they saying? Uh, uh, it's obviously in French, their, their report here, which was published uh, just over a year ago, uh, and it's entitled NGOs and the judges of the ECHR. Um, and uh, well this is their conclusions uh, from the report. Uh, At least 22 of the 100 permanent judges at the ECHR between 2009 and 2019 were representatives or members of seven NGOs which are active at the court. Uh, They're lobbying the court uh, but it goes beyond lobbying the court uh, or taking court cases. The Open Society Foundation NGO stands out for the number of judges linked uh, with it. So 12 of the ECHR judges linked with the Open Society Foundation, and for the fact that it funds the other six organizations identified in the report. So uh, the Open Society Foundation seems to have an inordinate interest in the court. It's bringing a lot of the cases to the court, Uh, but here's the thing. Uh, These NGOs have been involved in 185 cases since 2009. 19 judges had a conflict of interest in 88 of the judgments concerned. Uh, but there is no procedure to abstain from sitting in the court and judges are not compelled to inform the president if their objective impartiality may be in question. Um, so that's, uh, that's uh, a pretty significant position, is it not? Um, and well, who might be funding uh, the uh, Council of Europe?
1: Let me think, let me guess, who tends to fund these sort of uh, organizations and institutions, Mike. Uh, One of the richest billionaires in the world, perhaps?
0: Uh, Well, two of the richest billionaires in in the world, because uh, here is a question from, I believe it is and certainly an Eastern European politician. I can't remember which country uh, this guy's from, but he wrote a a question to the Parliamentary Assembly uh, on the contribution of Open Society Foundation and Microsoft funding to the Council of Europe, because the Council of Europe, although it is sort of a, uh, a pseudo-governmental uh, style institution um, is largely privately funded um, and so uh, there is no question that there seems to be a massive conflict of interest
1: so there's no checks and balances in this a- a- at all like there's no you said it doesn't uh, cater to the option of abstaining uh, from from a trial or that's right or
0: you can't recuse yourself if you if you have a conflict of interest and it doesn't look like Uh, people necessarily want to recuse themselves. Now, we've got to put this in a little bit of context because, of course, it could be argued that judges don't know which cases they're going to hear and they don't necessarily know uh, whether they're going to have uh, one of the NGOs that they're involved with uh, putting forward a case in front of them. But nonetheless, um, in the event, as, as the report showed, that has happened in the past in many cases, and those judges did not recuse themselves in those cases, nor did they declare the conflict of interest. Um, so, how is it possible to get uh, a, a, a balanced uh, judgment from this institution? I'm not saying that uh, there was a conflict of interest in this particular case because I don't know, but certainly the questions need to be asked once again.
1: Well, back to the Czech Republic case with the European Court of Human Rights. So, that's a perfect example, right? <clears throat> we talk, pardon me, we talk about how corporations capture the regulators and yes. government, but what about capturing the judiciary? at the European level, very powerful position. Mm. So you've got Bill Gates, you've got George Soros there, they've got a hand, effectively, indirectly at least, or financially, within the judiciary circle there. Mm. And then they're making a ruling saying that, uh, no, uh, you can't abstain from vaccines uh, in the Czech Republic, you must, uh, the, the state can compel you to take a medical procedure. And so that's where that conflict of interest gets very dangerous, yes. doesn't
0: it? Yes, yes. well, so let's move on then to the uh, continuing saga of AstraZeneca. And uh, 21st Century Wire here, your publication, Patrick, saying AstraZeneca halts COVID vaccine child testing while blood clot probe is conducted.
1: Of course. Well, this was, uh, this was reported by the BBC and, and many others here, uh, and we thought this was uh, incredibly interesting. Mike, uh, well, what they've done is basically halted Uh, uh, testing here on this particular group uh, until they work out what's going on with the the issue of blood clots altogether, but this is what Andrew Pollard from Oxford University is what he said to the BBC was, there are no safety concerns in the pediatric clinical trial. We await additional information from the MHRA on its review of rare cases of thrombosis uh, and other conditions here reported on adults, Mike. Uh, with regards to uh, you know, delaying any further vaccine trials. Um, that's
0: a very interesting statement that he's made there. Uh, so if we can just focus on that, we will be mentioning this in, in a minute or so, but uh, there are no safety concerns in the pediatric uh, clinical trial. Well, let's just see what the MHRA and the JCVI uh, have to say on that in a minute.
1: Right, right. So further from this, uh, you know, so this was a big story. Obviously, everything with AstraZeneca has been dominating the headlines. But how does the Times spin it? The Times newspaper, Murdoch's Times, which a lot of people regard quite widely, in fact, uh, as the in-house newsletter of the deep state uh, behind a paywall. Let's look at what they're saying there at the Times. you got to love this headline, Mike. Warning about coronavirus vaccine and clots is a sign that our system is working. Yeah. So a really great positive spin on that. Let's take a look at what they're saying here. The efficacy of a vaccine program is not just a percentage figure. Mike, no, no, no. It is not just about antibodies and T-cells. They hardly ever talk about those, don't they? It is also about something far more elusive and far more fragile, faith. Faith. So we like, must have faith. This is like a religious rhetoric here. This is the way the media is covering this now. It's becoming like a religion. The vaccine is like the, uh, the communion, as it were, Mike. So we're going to give this a big rosetta here. This is our new award. You'll see more of these in the future for propaganda. And you can see there's a lovely fetching picture of uh, Mr. Joseph Goebbels there in the middle of the rosette. Yeah, we're going to give that a big rosetta, but it doesn't stop there, does it? After clinical trials had finished, we were never going to find a higher number of serious side effects. This is the author Tom Whipple saying this. Yeah. By definition, anything that did appear once Max Fascination started had to be rare enough that it had not been spotted in trials of tens of thousands of people. That's an incredible bit of gymnastics.
0: Uh, well, it is on many levels, but have the trials finished?
1: Well, this is the point. This is the point. <laughs> When, notice of the past tense here, let's look at that, after the clinical trials had finished, uh-huh. past tense, yes. but have
0: they finished? No, I'm, no.
1: The, when do they finish? 2023?
0: It depends on which vaccine it is, 2023, 2024, 2025, sometime around that sort of time, yes.
1: They won't state the obvious, which is that the, the clinical trials are being done on the public, okay? And then finally, the fact that regulators are doing their job, I love that, uh, that, that they are testing they are sorry, teasing out and analyzing these extremely rare signals in the data, uh, these injuries. It, there are nothing more than extremely rare signals now. Uh, they should boost our faith, again, there's that word faith, in the system. This is a sign that things are working. This is great news according to the Times, isn't it? What an amazing piece of spin there. Uh,
0: And one of the uh, key points here, Patrick, isn't it, is, of course, all the focus is on blood clots. Now, if you look at the uh, yellow card data from the MHRA, which, if you can find it, it's not exactly transparent or easy to find, Mm -hmm. or it is transparent because it's very difficult to find. But anyway, nonetheless, uh, it is there if if you search hard enough for it. Of course, blood clots are on the list, but there are many, many other conditions on the list, including heart attacks, uh, strokes, uh, a whole range of different uh, uh, side effects and adverse reactions. The focus on one single implies to, to the general public that haven't done their research, as it were, that there's really only one side effect that we need to be worried about. In fact, there are many, many more.
1: And look at the full court press, everyone in government media, they're all jumping on the blood to squash the issue of blood clots. Yes, And then you're saying that if they can manage to squash that, then they'll sort of declare victory, that it's 100% safe. Right,
0: so uh, let's have a look at this then, this is Le Monde. Uh, The headline is in French, of course, let's translate it. European medicine agency recognizes link between vaccine and very rare cases of thrombosis, there's blood clots. Uh, This is obviously to do with AstraZeneca and they quote uh, Emmer Cook, who's uh, from the European Medicines Agency, saying it's plausible that the appearance of these clots after vaccination with AstraZeneca is linked to the immune system response to the vaccine. Okay, So that's what the European Medicines Agency is saying. Now, of course, the MHRA uh, had this to say. Uh, we've received a very small number of reports. Uh, this first quote is from a couple of weeks ago uh, of an extremely rare form of blood clot in the cerebral veins. But today's response from the MHRA is this. Uh, the MHRA has concluded that the evidence of a link with COVID-19 vaccine AstraZeneca is stronger, but more work is still needed. So they're not prepared to go the whole hog and say there is a definitive uh, cause here, but they're saying that the evidence is certainly stronger. Uh, But here's what they say. The MHRA is not recommending age restrictions in COVID-19 vaccine AstraZeneca vaccine use. Okay, so the MHRA is not recommending age restrictions, but the JCVI is the JCVI has advised it is preferable for adults aged under 30 with no underlying conditions to be offered an alternative to the AstraZeneca vaccine where available. So the Joint Committee on Vaccine and Immunization uh, wants age restrictions. The MHRA is saying no, we don't need age restrictions. But look at the age restrictions the JCVI is proposing uh, for adults aged under 30. Now they're not talking about children, but in fact, If you listen to the government rhetoric over the last uh, couple of days, uh, it's been about uh, risk versus reward. So uh, the government position is that if you're over a certain age, over 50, for example, you're uh, at much greater risk of death from COVID-19 than death from the vaccine, or you're at much greater risk from serious complications from COVID-19 as opposed to serious complications from the vaccine. But if you're under 50, or at least the JCVI saying under 30, they're saying that therefore uh, your risk of death or serious injury from COVID-19 is so low that compared to the risks involved with taking the vaccine, uh, that the risk reward uh, uh, offer isn't there. So you've got to, therefore it's better not to take the vaccine under that age. So first of all, they're acknowledging that COVID-19 is not a major danger to anybody under 30. Uh, It's not going to cause your death it's not going to cause any significant side effects, and therefore, even though they claim that uh, the side effects are very few with respect to AstraZeneca, they are still more than than otherwise. So that's what the British are saying. We want to stop people taking AstraZeneca for the younger age groups. What are the Europeans saying? Uh, Well, here is Emmanuel Macron. Over 55? Don't have your second dose of the vaccine. So in Europe, they're saying it's the older age groups that shouldn't be taking AstraZeneca because it's causing uh, many more adverse reactions in the elderly.
1: Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Because when you get older, does your immune system get stronger or does it get weaker? Has it been worn down from other toxins and chemicals over the course of your life, right?
0: So, But the question, Patrick, is who's right? Uh, Is the European position correct that that older people should take it? Or is the British... um, Position correct that younger people shouldn't take it. If you take that together, it first of all says that nobody should take it. Yes. But 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 uh, but my question here is, what is the British government's position here? It's all right for elderly people to die. Is that what they're saying? I'm not sure. I'm not sure what they're saying. But it's they certainly seem to be taking the position. It's fine.
1: Well, the French position is quite common sense oriented, isn't it? Is why introduce another risk into the situation into the matrix. That wasn't there before right and if you look at the actual statistics Mike the data shows that not just under 30s are at no risk uh, pretty much everybody from almost under 70s and below if you look at the statistics you're even if you're between 50 and 70 you're much more likely to fall ill from a host of other things right rather than COVID-19 so this has been really blown up and exaggerated in the media now for 12 months uh, we'll talk about that later. Well, we, we, we must
0: not forget, Patrick, that the average age of somebody dying from COVID-19, this is according to the government statistics, is 84, and the average age of somebody dying from any other cause is 82. So actually, you're much better off if you get COVID, it seems. you
1: you live longer, yes. according to the according statistics. To statistics. And yes. lastly, Mike, how can the government on the risk-reward issue, how can the government claim that they how could they know what the risk is on the vaccines, the long-term risks? when they've just knocked it out in uh, nine months.
0: They don't. Uh,
1: They don't, but they're saying that it's 100% safe. Yes. They're saying it's 96%, or no, the pharmaceutical companies are saying that and telling the government, and the government's repeating it, and the media's repeating it. Where is it coming from? From the manufacturers. Do you trust the manufacturers with these broad claims of total safety and total efficacy? I, for one, looking at their record, Mike, as we discussed on the last program, there's a lot to be uh, desired there.
0: If if the uh, pharmaceutical companies were so certain of their position, they would not be hiding behind immunity from prosecution for uh, adverse reactions and deaths and so on. That that's it's as simple as that.
1: And and the media wouldn't be pushing so much propaganda to try to twist people's arms. Yes, that it is safe. Obviously. Um,
0: so let's just remind you that uh, well, actually, on Wednesday, Brian suggested that uh, no smoke. Without Fire Part 4 would be available immediately after today's news program. In fact, it's going to be premiered at 8 p.m. tonight on the UK Column uh, website and also on the YouTube channel. Um, This is another dive into the uh, MHRA's yellow card statistics uh, on adverse reactions with former NHS nurse Debbie Evans. Uh, Do watch that later on if you can Uh, and maybe they'll put some additional uh, detail on what some of the things we've just been talking about. Uh, if you like what the UK Column does and you would like to support us, then please head over to ukcolumn.org forward slash community and there are options to help us out there. That would be very much appreciated. And Please do share our material that you find on, on the usual platforms. Um, now, Patrick, that takes us back into the uh, psychological attack. Now, we did mention this uh, briefly on Wednesday, but uh, let's hear your uh, position on it.
1: Well, we know that you covered this, but I just wanted to quickly go because I think this is an important. This is going to lead us into what we're gonna be talking about. This was the big story in the Telegraph, State of Fear, how they used covert tactics uh, to sort of work below the conscious level, uh, as it were. But let's just take a look again at some of the highlights of this, because this is very important, this document, which was handed to SAGE when lockdown began last March. The government using covert psychological strategies operating below the public's level of awareness. This is really, really key. This is what the government has done. Uh, concerned that many people still do not feel sufficiently personally threatened. Uh, And again, just to review of of what's in the document itself, uh, a substantial number of people still do not feel sufficiently personally threatened, they say here. This is from SPY-B. And it could be that they are reassured by the low death rate in their demographics group. We were just talking about that. Uh, And the perceived level of personal threat needs to be increased among those who are complacent using hard-hitting, emotional messaging uh, to be effective, this must also empower people by making clear the actions that they can take to reduce a threat. Of course, the key words here, personally threatened. This is, a, this is government being advised to personally mm. threaten people with hard-hitting, emotional messaging. This is propaganda. We'd give it a blue rosette, uh, but we'll, we'll get on to that later here. But here's the key, Mike. I looked at this. This is important, empowering. So they're saying that to, this, to be effective, this must also empower people. That is internal propaganda mm. of them propagandizing each other, this kind of internal virtue signaling yes. within the government to say, hey, what we're doing is right. They literally have to propagandize each other uh, as well. So this brings up a lot of questions, Mike, is what's going on here? Uh, and then just finally, the same document presented a grid of 14 options for increasing compliance, which include use media to increase a sense of personal threat. The press are deeply involved in this, aren't they? And funded as well. Yes. And also a tactic uh, which was seen as having a high effectiveness through spillover effects could be uh, negative here. And of course, you, you did introduce this last year, Mike. This was an article written by one of your staffers here. In, well, by May actually. In, in May 2020, <laughs> COVID coercion. Now, you and Brian really kind of opened this conversation up really before anybody else did. So we encourage people to go back to the UK Columns website. There's a number of good uh, pieces as well as Brian's psychological attack Mm. uh, video report series as well. But just back to uh, the uh, offending article here, uh, the daily diet of statistics and deaths, hospitalizations, and COVID cases has been so effective that compliance with lockdown has gone far beyond what ministers expected, uh, as we reported in the past as well. So they can't believe how effective this has been. But the problem with fear, this is the author here, Gordon Rayner. the problem with fear, uh, as one behavioral scientist said on Friday, is that you can't turn it on and off like a tap.
0: Well, I think you can turn it on like a tap, because I think they've been very successful at doing that. Turning it back off again is a lot harder.
1: It is. This is so. This has affected people on a deep level mm. uh, psychologically. This is, I think, damaged people for years to come. Mm-hmm. So, and again, there's there's no scientific studies based on whether lockdowns are effective, mm-hmm. social distancing are effective, and it's debatable what difference masks make either or have made. We only have to look at the control group, which is Sweden right now, right, who hasn't really done any of that, and they're perfectly uh, fine and have, have been normal from the beginning. So, but, but again, let's not talk about Sweden. No, the the world is only your little sort of keyhole world that you're looking through here with yes. the help of the government uh, and the media here. And I want to point to this. This might be, Mike, in my opinion, one of the best articles written that I have read in the last twelve months. This is in the from the conservative woman here, and the the headline is a very convenient pandemic. This is by author daniel miller i I could i could read the whole thing mike on air and i will do probably on sunday because it's just an extraordinarily well-written piece here let's just take out a couple of highlights this is from daniel miller so far uh, the theater of the pandemic has been organized as a campaign of psychological manipulation with policies conceived to nudge compliance by alternately dangling rewards which are usually snatched away And making threats. Is that a fair description of what we've seen? Bygone, yes. Okay, and he goes on, this campaign has also featured systematic censorship and intimidation directed against some of the most accomplished scientists in the world. That is absolutely true. And then finally, what is needed in the meantime is urgent to urgently unwind the cycle of compliance, beginning with the mask removal of masks uh, here, extending To the deconstruction of the narrative and culminating in the total disobedience against the tyranny now represented by this illegitimate and shameful government strong words by author daniel miller mike but i mean it it really is reflecting a lot of the frustration that we're beginning to see now not just in the usual anti quote anti-lockdown uh crowd but also in the professional Yes. class as well. A lot of middle class people, of uh, professionals, barristers, people working in industry, they're now seeing that they've really been taken for a ride uh, by the government and the media with pharmaceutical companies in the background.
0: Yes. Um, now, uh, obviously, pubs to some degree will be allowed to open from Monday. Um, and uh, well, in the media today, uh, right across the media, they were talking about the use of uh, QR codes and uh, track test and trace and so on. So I just want to remind everybody what the latest guidance is because actually the media was uh, suggesting that it's quite a bit stronger uh, than it is they were suggesting that people will have to hand over their phones uh, to the person serving them in the pub uh, and have their phone inspected to make sure that you have registered properly so let's just look at what the the guidance actually says uh, it says uh, that venues have to download and print the new QR code poster uh, because apparently the app has been shown to reduce cases well I'm not sure what the evidence is for that but nonetheless that's what they're saying. It goes on to say that from the 29th, uh, regulations regarding venue check-in are changing. Uh, that's from the 29th of March, uh, even though people couldn't go to venues, uh, really, uh, that only starts on Monday. Uh, all visitors will be required to check in to enter hospitality venues, not just one per group. So if you remember, it used to be, if you were in a group of people, one had to check in. And then if there was a positive test, uh, then test and Trace would uh, track down everybody else that was with you at that point. But now everybody has to check in. And this really seems to be what's the basis of the claims in the media this morning, uh, that people will have to hand over their phones to the uh, venue uh, staff in order to have it confirmed that you did actually check in. Frankly, there is no venue that has enough staff to be able to, even though with social distancing so and so on, uh, the number of uh, patrons in their venues will be down. They still aren't going to have enough staff that have the time uh, to be manually checking everybody's phone. Uh, but what this hints at, Patrick, is something a bit insidious: the idea that uh, the owner or a staff member in a in a venue uh, has the authority to. Is your phone not your personal property with your personal data on it? That uh, so they would have the authority to actually inspect the contents of your phone. This is uh, hinting at something. Uh, much deeper.
1: Well, it's also hitting with a fundamental flaw in this uh, proposed system, isn't it? That uh, it it has to cross the line. It literally has to cross the line of your personal uh, items and and effects, right? Yes. So in America, that would be a violation of the Fourth Amendment. But but we have
0: similar principles in this country as well. Yeah. This is this is similar to the the, the invasion of of privacy that that uh, uh, or v- invasion of liberty that vaccine passports uh, represent, for example, and so on. So. We're heading down a dangerous path here and we need to stop.
1: So the concern Mike, isn't really about COVID apparently the government's more concerned about being able to track people and can yes. has anybody proven that the track and trace uh, ha- how many people have they actually caught with a live viral infection through the track and trace program? I mean I'll bet you, you can I bet you
0: can count them in one
1: hand uh, probably. Uh, I'm telling you how much money did it cost? 30 billion 30 billion Is that good value for the money?
0: No. Um, So let's head over to uh, Denmark then. And, uh, well, let's translate this headline. And what does it say? Uh, Cheat with Corona Pass. Uh, It undermines all confidence in the system. And uh, so this report is uh, suggesting that, in fact, uh, and it's interesting on the BBC yesterday, uh, somebody was commenting on the Today program. uh, At the back of all this is an IT system. Uh, will the IT systems be fit for purpose? Well the Danish here suggesting that they absolutely will not be fit for purpose and what this article is saying is that uh, uh, really it's very easy for you to fake uh, your your results. Um, you could take any, uh, any of the tests that you had done uh, and present them as if they were current uh, valid test results uh, which would give you a negative result and therefore a nice big green tick uh, but when, in fact, uh, that wouldn't be your most recent result at all. So uh, eminently hackable seems to be the answer for uh, the Danish, uh, and we'll see what happens in this country.
1: Well, whenever you have a problem like that, flag up, Mike, of course the, uh, the, the tech, the gods of tech, usually weigh in and say, ah, don't worry, we've got a better system, a foolproof system, but Indeed. but we need, we need money. Lula, yeah. We need money. We need another couple hundred billion, and we'll develop you a perfect Microsoft uh, global Ubiquitous, bulletproof COVID passport pass, all singing and dancing.
0: This is a hugely competitive market already. Many, many tech companies wanting to get in on it. The government, of course, already funding some startups uh, to get involved in this market. Um, so it's clear this problem isn't going away. What is interesting is that we're now starting to see a massive pushback from the hospitality industry and the airline industry. Uh, I think that it might be wise for us as individuals to start offering some of these companies uh, some support uh, where they uh, are pushing back against this idea. Um, and uh, the social media is a good place to, to start because of course we can tag these companies in, in our posts. And-
1: we- Weatherspoon's was very vocal about lockdowns at the beginning, right? Yes. Uh, especially the, uh, the, 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 the head of the company. Uh, I wonder where he stands on the issue of vaccine passports, Mike. That will be interesting to find out in the coming weeks. Well,
0: it? wherever he stands, maybe some encouragement in a particular direction would be, uh, would be a useful exercise. It'll be very interesting. Yes. Um, well, let's head over to the States and still on vaccine passports. What's uh, Rand Paul been up to?
1: Well, this is a Kentucky senator. He's very outspoken. You've seen his public clashes with Anthony Fauci, which we've covered on previous programs here. Uh, and he's taking a, a very strong position on this. Uh, he's one of the few, I think, principled U.S. senators here Republican from uh, Kentucky here, and he's saying that, I believe that if the American people don't act soon to put an end to this creeping authoritarianism, then we may never regain the freedoms we once had. He's very uh, serious about this warning, and he goes on to say, uh, our nation is now in danger of the lockdown mafias, creeping fascism, staying with us forever if we don't stand up and resist. Calling it the lockdown mafia, I think that's an apt description here. And then he goes on, and then and the newest power grab comes in the form of a so-called vaccine passports. These would determine your social standing and dictate how you can engage uh, in your everyday life. And finally, to wrap it up, we can't let government tyrants and media fearmongers push us into accepting this terrible idea that we need their permission to go back to our lives, says Senator Rand Paul here. This was sent out to his constituents in a letter, uh, which I have as well. Um, that's where that quote is coming from. You can subscribe to his uh, regular uh, newsletter and things like that on yes. his website. But um, so, is, so, is he
0: the only person that's taking this definitive stand? or How much support has he around him?
1: On this issue, Not at the moment, he is the, he is the lone voice that, that's specifically calling it out and totally rejecting it. But I think others may come on board if they see that their constituents, that their electorate, is also making those same noises. Mm -hmm. And then you'll see uh, senators, probably the Republicans, first uh, before the Democrats. This is becoming more and more of a partisan issue now between Republicans and Democrats. The idea of vaccines, vaccine passports, we'll we'll talk about that in a minute.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed. Uh, Right. Uh, Roll up, roll up uh, your, uh, get your... uh, free COVID test here. Now, of course, the announcement was made a couple of days ago that we're all going to be able to get access to two free COVID tests a week, every one of us. Uh, And uh, so the campaign has begun today uh, to really get us engaged on this. So the public are going to be urged to to take part in the next step safely uh, and start regular testing as part of a new campaign across TV, print, outdoor and digital media. So if anybody's in any doubt about why the mainstream media is not asking any challenging questions of the government uh, about what their policies are and and so on, that's the reason. The massive amount of money, of advertising money that's going into TV, print, outdoor and digital media at the moment from the British government uh, media, relying on this money to stay in business. So uh, the press release says that assets will be made available to workplaces and community spaces to encourage a new testing habit. Uh, from today, Friday the 9th, everyone in England will be able to access free, regular, rapid COVID-19 testing. Uh, so this is, these are the Chinese-made uh, COVID testing kits. You
1: can see the little USB drive there. It's a piece of plastic that uh, is actually lighter than the USB drive. I don't know, is there anything in it?
0: Uh, well, there's a little uh, bit of filter paper and you drop the uh, the results into the, the dot at the bottom and it filters up through the filter paper and it's a bit like a pregnancy test. So if the uh if as, as it filters up the, the the filter paper there's a line that changes color and depending on the color of the line depends on the test result
1: so there's a computer in there Mike that's really sophisticated <laughs> and it can identify the genome of the coronavirus right is uh, that how
0: it works uh, well of course not but but that, that's that's the implication it's a rapid test it is fantastic stuff by the
1: Communist Party of China by the way yes literally
0: well yes Just when in, you, the in the packaging you get your communist Party of China stamp uh, that says that has been quality controlled. No joke. No, look, we're serious. It, look, look at it yourself. Um, so so let's, uh, let's just say uh, alongside the rollout of the vaccine, they say regular testing is an essential part of the easing of restrictions, helping identify variants. How does it do that? How does it do that? Is there any evidence that these, uh, uh, these okay. rapid tests are capable of I- identifying variants? Very of specific.
1: Not. No, you've you got to be kidding me. So th- where are these claims coming from? From the government. Are they just making it up? Yes. They're literally just making it up. I think people are, are mo- a lot of people are just completely out to lunch on this and, and pretty much believe everything that the government
0: it's, says. It is ver- getting very difficult to keep a straight face when we talk about this stuff. Let's look at uh, what Matt Hancock had to say about this. He said, Around one in three people have coronavirus without any symptoms. So getting tested regularly is one of the simplest and easiest ways we can scam you all. Of course, he didn't say that. Uh, he thought that as he was making this statement. Uh, what he actually said was uh, one of the simplest and easiest ways we can keep ourselves and our loved ones safe. Um, So that, of course-
1: What does he mean, have coronavirus? Does he mean have an active infection or could potentially test PCR positive? because uh, they have a few dead nucleotides floating around in their system.
0: Uh, this, the, you're asking two difficult questions. He wouldn't be able to answer that, Patrick. No. He wouldn't be able to answer that. So so uh, don't worry, uh, it gets better, because from Monday, the 12th of April, uh, people who have been in contact with someone who's tested positive for COVID-19 can now get a PCR test during their 10-day self-isolation period, whether or not they have symptoms. So. Let's say you were to test positive. I'm required to self-isolate for 10 days. I'm now allowed to go out to go and get a PCR test during that 10-day self-isolation period because Coroni doesn't know whether I'm self-isolating or not. And he doesn't know that, that when I go out, I could be spreading to other people.
1: And if you don't have symptoms, what happens to the result of the PCR test? Where, where would it trend, Mike, uh, in terms of potentially being a false positive? Uh, if you're asymptomatic?
0: Well, first of all, if you're asymptomatic, but also if the incidence of the virus is low in the general population, mm-hmm. then the incidence of false positive goes up significantly. Signific- so, is, so, As
1: high as over 90%. Yes, right? yes, yes. And so why would you want to take a PCR test if you were asymptomatic? If you looked at that's the risk, you could actually get a false positive. Why would you want to take it? So, so Matt Hancock is in... Exploring people
0: I to put to themselves
1: into a false positive trap,
0: right? He might want me to take it because that helps them drive their narrative that there's oh, uh, increasing levels of cases.
1: Because you could become a case. Yes, a case, I could become a case, yes. But not an infection. Indeed.
0: Mm. Um, okay, and then, of course, uh, the other news is all about, uh, all about travel. So let's uh, have a look at uh, Grant Shapps. There he is. He's produced a, a wonderful little video clip. Uh, and it's he's lovely, isn't it?
1: It's out in the back garden, yeah. Mike. He's got a swinging chair in the back, and it's and look, he's wearing like a nice jumper, and it's all very casual, isn't it?
0: It was very casual, and you know they, they even had wind noise there, so it, it came across as being something really grassroots and edgy. Authentic. And authentic. Uh, but of course, what's he announcing? He's announcing a framework to chart the safe return of international travel, um, and so they're creating a new traffic light system. Now, we've only seen about four other traffic light systems uh, over the last 12 months. Uh, but this new traffic light system will uh, allow countries to be either green, amber, or red, and that will decide whether you have to uh, self-isolate or quarantine when you come back from those countries or not. Um, but of course, none of this begins until, I think it's March, uh, sorry, May the 17th is when the, uh, the the complete ban on international travel is lifted. And what's the uh, and
1: methodology on this, this traffic light system? Is it just arbitrary? They could just call anything red, green, yellow?
0: Uh, yeah. yes, indeed.
1: They can just just they just make it up. Literally, they could change their me- metrics as well. Could not they? of course, they and that
0: that's what they will do. And as as we've seen, we saw that last summer as well. As we've seen last summer, they will change the metrics while people are in in, in country. Mm-hmm. So people that think that it's safe being safe to go to France or to Germany or to wherever it happens to be, uh, will find themselves in a the position where suddenly the rules have changed, and then we'll see these uh, uh, efforts to. For, stampedes for people to get back to the UK before the new rules come in.
1: Because there was a media report of an outbreak of cases in a shopping mall in Dusseldorf with 13 people tested positive, and all of a sudden Germany's traffic light goes from green to red, Yes, right?
0: yes. Is that how it works? Yes, of course it is. But what it is, is it's, it comes back to the psychological attack. What it is, is a psychological attack on people. and And people are never allowed to relax. So they go away on holiday. They think they're going to get two weeks of relaxation on some sunny beach somewhere. No, because a week into it, there's going to be some announcement which will completely, you know, and of course, people will be wondering about this while they're away and stressed as a result. But we don't need to worry, Patrick, because 100,000 lives have been saved by the vaccination program. Or 10,000. Sorry, 10,000. Yes, thank you very much. I was- uh, Get a job with the government. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, So (laughs) 10,000 lives have been saved. I just wanted to remind everybody uh, of the methodology of this because that's this week's figure. Uh, last week, uh, it was, uh, when we looked at the impact, it was 6,100 deaths uh, prevented. This was uh, on the report, that was, uh, I think maybe this was two weeks ago. So it's gone from 6,100 deaths up to 10,000. How prevented. on earth
1: could they improve that? Like, how could they actually scientifically prove right, that?
0: Well, let's just have a look at how they do it. Remind ourselves what the methodology was, because here it is. Both the lockdown and the vaccination program are likely to have impacted on the incidence of COVID-19 cases, hospitalizations, and deaths therefore there are challenges in estimating the impact of of either intervention alone. They said, vaccine effectiveness against mortality was based on the most recent public health England estimates of effectiveness of a vaccine. So in other words, they modeled it. Uh, They modeled it, Patrick. This is not real. Uh, In order to allow for the time taken to develop an immune response to vaccination and for a mortality endpoint, we assumed it would take 31 days before the effect of vaccination on deaths is observed. Uh, and using a dynamic age structured model, it has been continually matched uh, to national regional data throughout the pandemic. We compare simulations with and without vaccination. So this is not a real figure. It is complete fake news and propaganda, and it should have had your, your uh, rosette on it. Oh, next time it will, don't but, you worry. But, yes, so this is a model uh, similar to the types of models that we've seen used to justify lockdown and so on.
1: Now, the, the Grant Shapps video, which you showed, Mike, very happy clappy, right? So clearly the government has basically brought on a new media company, uh, probably a new contractor, to produce real happy clappy videos. The latest one Boris Johnson put out had this kind of you know preschool music going on in the background and trying to make Boris seem like he's a kind of authentic, kind of laid back sort of, you know, uh, benevolent dictator or whatever. Uh, so we just took a piece of this and listen to what he's saying. Boris Johnson's actually admitting admitting that people who are vaccinated can't meet indoors, Mike. This is the Prime Minister of Britain. Why? Because the vaccine doesn't, doesn't work. Doesn't prevent transmission. Listen to this.
0: And next someone asks, can I now meet my friends and family, family members indoors if they are vaccinated and there I'm afraid the answer is no because uh, we're not yet at that uh, at that stage, uh, we're, we're still very much in a world where you can meet friends and family outdoors under the rule of six or uh, or two households and even though uh, your uh, friends and family members may be vaccinated, uh, the vaccines are not uh, giving you 100% protection and that's why we just need to be Cautious, we don't think that they entirely reduce the or or, or remove the risk of of, of transmission. So there you go. So,
1: so the vaccines don't remove or reduce the the risk of transmission. No, that's they are leaky vaccines. That's what a leaky vaccine is. That's the British Prime Minister, right? Yes. Yes. That's the one pushing vaccines every five minutes uh, on the press.
0: Uh, Well, uh, look, Patrick, you've got to appreciate that vaccines are the way out. Uh, because they work. The only uh, way out. Except they're not.
1: Right. And there's the British PM again, yes. admitting that in a happy clappy government propaganda video. Yes. That should have got a blue rosette as well.
0: It should. Uh, well, let's head over to the United States then. Uh, 246 vaccinated residents diagnosed with COVID, three dead.
1: Well, this is just another, another example, Mike. And this isn't just in Michigan as well. But uh, so, so the point here is that these are people who are basically have tested positive for the virus more than a couple weeks after getting their second dose of of the vaccine. So again, this also kind of destroys the assumption or destroys the talking point that, and it, it actually agrees with what Boris said. So we've got a huge problem here. We're told that the vaccines are miracle vaccines and that they're the only solution to freedom, our path to freedom, et cetera. And then we're seeing all these stories come out. And there's a number of deaths as well, and I know they're going to say, well, in comparison to the amount of people who've taken it, it's just a blip on the radar screen, mm. a la blood clots and everything else. But how do they know exactly what the real numbers are? Are doctors really reporting people with comorbidities or people who maybe have triggered some sort of a health or autoimmune crisis because of vaccine? We don't know because the very system in the U.S., Mike, is as riddled with problems fundamentally
0: as the MHRA,
1: as the yellow card system in the UK. So again, you won't know. But here's the main point. This is brought up in this report, was admitted, this was on NBC, I believe. And basically the question is, can employees, uh, can they take legal action against their employers if they require them to be vaccinated, to be uh, be working, basically? Some people are getting fired in America, uh, as they are in Israel, not being allowed to work because they're not vaccinated. Mm -hmm. Is that actually legal and listen to this very closely this is the right one uh yeah i think it's the emergency use authorization video
0: okay that's... during a news conference yesterday president biden acknowledged that republican men sorry sorry we miscued that that's that's uh...
1: that's fauci we'll have to go back to him later so i'm not sure if we actually right okay that. no, no I've, I've
0: got this yes here we go Let's... Pfizer and Moderna built their COVID vaccines with a new kind of technology that's never before been licensed in the U.S. Also, because an EUA is not a license, there is a legal question as to whether you can mandate an emergency authorization.
2: Well, They're not a fully licensed product. So the ability to to require your employees to be vaccinated will be highly controversial. In fact, I would argue that um, an employer cannot require you to be vaccinated um, with anything other than a fully licensed product.
0: Mandatory vaccination protocols, therefore, may have to wait until the FDA completes the entire approval process for the COVID vaccine. Well, that's that's quite a statement at the end there, because and of course, this is a, this is a debate that's been going on in this country as well. Can your employer mandate the the uh, the vaccine or fire you if you refuse to take it? Um, but none of the discussion I've seen in this country has been talking about the emergency uh, approval of the vaccines. That's quite an interesting position to take. The
1: government's Achilles heel, Mike, on this is the emergency use authorization. They rammed it through without going through proper uh, testing and uh, research observation protocols over years. Instead, they said there's a pandemic on, everyone needs to get it, quote, to save lives, and they've rammed it through. That's left the government and businesses totally exposed to lawsuits Mm. because it is an unlicensed product is not a fully licensed Mm -hmm. vaccine. You're compelling people to put something in their body that's not even a fully licensed product. And so, and and again, it's not going through the same paces that other products have gone through in the past. Right, Because there's a fear, an overriding fear of a, quote, pandemic. That's the Achilles heel of government and also of corporations who are gonna be trying to coerce people Mm -hmm. uh, into a vaccine passport situation. So looking at the, here's the vaccine passport issue, Mike, Is created something that's really looking more and more like the divided states of America here, and so uh, we'll we'll look at a um, a a report here that I'm not sure if we'll have the right report um, or not. Yeah. um, But uh, it's is it uh, yes
0: it's today yes that's
1: that's it today program yeah. So so the reason we chose this because it's an absolute masterclass in propaganda what's happening the mainstream media have painted themselves into a corner over the last 12 months and they don't know what to do now they're tripping all over themselves. Listen watch and listen closely. Call it a covid conundrum in states with the strictest measures in the country like
2: Michigan, Pennsylvania and much of New England cases are on the rise while in the South states like Arkansas and Texas that have reopened businesses and ripped away mask mandates are seeing their numbers drop. So what might explain the apparent contradiction? One theory, differences in testing rates. Alabama has experienced one of the biggest dips in reported infections, more than 50% in two weeks. But it's also dead last in the U.S. for COVID testing, only 56 tests per 100,000 people. That's a fraction of what you'll find in places like Vermont, Massachusetts, and New York, where numbers are surging. How much does lack of adequate testing have to do with the numbers that we're seeing right now?
1: When you don't test, you're blind. And when you're not testing, you're, you have a false
0: sense of what the real problem is in your community.
2: Another theory COVID fatigue. In Michigan, where people are just coming out of lockdown for the first time in months, cases are up more than 100% as demographics shift. What's different in this wave is these are younger individuals between the ages of 30 and 60 the vast majority of which are not currently vaccinated. Texas, on the other hand, began reopening its doors months ago and just jammed 40,000 people into the Rangers ballpark, many without masks. A lot of individuals in the southern part of the US and especially here in Texas, have already been exposed to the coronavirus. So many individuals already have coronavirus antibodies. That leads us to the risky behavior we've seen in places like Miami Beach, Florida, where numbers have only increased slightly And theory number 3, that young people are acting as carriers. As doctors say they're returning to other states taking the virus with them.
1: Those are the least likely to show up for testing and when those younger individuals infect older individuals or more vulnerable individuals, that takes time.
2: Bottom line, health experts say the falling figures in the South might be giving a false sense of security. Do medical experts worry is emboldening those leaders who said this is a good idea to loosen restrictions? We worry about if there's a perfect storm brewing. If we remember, this virus always takes 10 to 14 to 21 days to develop. We might just be seeing the early effects of that right now.
1: Yeah, a lot of those southern states are also quite a bit warmer, too. So people are outside, might be a little bit safer. What about the variants? That's got to play a role here, too, Sam.
2: A significant role Michigan, for example, Savannah has a very high prevalence of the UK strain that's also true of states like Minnesota. Both of them have seen cases skyrocket but Savannah there are outliers as well in Florida where I am there are more documented cases of the UK strain here than any other state in the country by far and yet so far a 17% increase in the last 2 weeks, very small compared to some of these other states, Savannah.
3: All right, Sam, thanks.
1: We've identified the culprit Mike, it's the UK variant. Yes. That's what's holding people in Florida hostage. So that brought up three important points, Mike. One is they admitted that the more you test, the more, quote, cases you get. So the testing drives the pandemic or the, the perception of a pandemic. They also admitted that it might be herd immunity. words, more people have been exposed to the virus, uh, therefore, there's going to be less, quote, infection. So they've admitted... Uh, that testing drives a pandemic they've admitted that natural herd immunity actually exists Mm -hmm. especially amongst young people and they said it's safe it's more safe to be outside even boris johnson admitted this in his happy clappy video if you go and look at the full video online so that it's better to be outside. What have they been telling us for the last 12 months? To stay indoors, right? Yes. And that's not exactly healthy. Now the narrative has switched. Now they're giving up on some of these points that we've been saying for the last 12 months.
0: Uh, but the one that struck me was uh, this fal- this idea, this false sense. Uh, if you don't test, you're, you're flying blind. You get a false sense of security, perhaps. But, Patrick, there's only one statistic that doesn't lie, and that's all-cause mortality. And the question that we've been asking from the beginning of this is sorry to put it this way, but where are the bodies? And we do not have the levels of death which demonstrate that there is a pandemic uh, going on. We have a narrative that tells us there is. We have a testing regime which produces numbers which suggest certain things. but spurious claims about variants constantly being planned. constantly but but we still don't have um the people ending up in their boxes. It's as simple as that.
1: Yeah, so where is the pandemic, right? Where's the pandemic? So uh, now this is becoming more of a, uh, is this the GOP video? The GOP one? Yeah, the GOP, it's not that one. It's this
0: one, yeah. Yeah, it's this
1: one. Now, it's becoming a partisan issue in America. It's now officially, the media is starting to parse this. Right. Republicans, anti-vax, anti-vaccine passport, Democrats, pro-lockdown, pro-vaccine, Right pro vaccine passport. Watch this
0: during a news conference yesterday, President Biden acknowledged that Republican men appear to be reluctant to get inoculated. Last month, a Marist poll in partnership with NPR and PBS NewsHour found 49% of Republican men said they would not take the vaccine when it's available to them. The president's chief medical adviser, Dr. Anthony Fauci, addressed concerns surrounding the reluctance on CBS this morning.
3: We're putting such a big push and trying to get people to be convinced to get vaccinated. You know, we have this uh, COVID-19 community core, which is getting trusted messengers, be they clergy, sports figures, uh, athletic figures, people that the community trusts and look up to.
0: So you're getting the same treatment we're getting with all the celebrities coming out, really trying to push home this message, you must take the vaccine.
1: And they're not coming out on their own volition. They're being organized by government. We'll show you what that program looks like in the U.S. in a minute. But just, just a reminder, some of the Republican governors here, Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis, basically banning vaccine passports in the States, actually banning businesses from requiring people to to, to show their vaccine status before they get in. DeSantis is saying vaccination passports reduce individual freedoms and will harm uh, patient privacy. He's mm-hmm. saying here, So that's a Republic- leading Republican candidate, by the way, for 2024. Should Donald Trump not win, he would be the favorite, by the way. So Florida has been open for a while. And of course, Texas here, Governor Greg Abbott, he has also uh, passed uh, an order banning vaccine passports, but only in a government and public sense. In other words, uh, Greg Abbott being the consummate conservative is saying that he can't tell businesses what, what to, to do what yeah. to do and what not to do he'll yeah. say we'll let the market decide and i have, a, I have an idea of where the market's going to go in texas yes on that issue but that, that's to show you how divisive this is becoming so the media is starting to separate and they'll start attacking republicans or attacking people mm. conservatives for being quote anti-vax or holding the rest of the country hostage you see how this mm. is beginning to shape up now just a quick look at the old normal here well we got a We got a little look at it in Texas Ranger Stadium look at this 40,000 plus people most of them by our accounts are not wearing masks okay a full house this was absolutely sent horror chills this has sent horror chills down the spines of people in Washington certainly the Biden administration Fauci is just completely losing it over this and so he was asked about this scene Mike on a recent uh, MSNBC program here Uh, this footage from fanatics view by the way great youtube channel Uh, but listen to anthony fauci uh comment on this and how he's
2: there was a lot of concern last month when texas effectively opened up dropped all those restrictions and said it's back to life and if you go to texas as you know it looks like 2019 the restaurants and the bars are full and open the ballparks are full and yet We've seen cases and hospitalizations since then continue to tick downward. So what do you make of that as all of us look around and sort of try to consider how safe it is to get back to normal life?
3: Yeah, you know, it can be confusing because you may see a lag and a delay because often you have to wait a few weeks before you see the effect of what you're doing right now. You know, there, there are a lot of things that go into that. I mean, when you say that they've, they've had a lot of uh, activity on the outside, like ball games, I'm not really quite sure. It could be they're doing things outdoors. You know, it's very difficult to just one-on-one compare that. But there's always the concern when you pull back on methods, particularly things like indoor dining and bars that are crowded, you can see a delay and then all of a sudden tick right back up. We've been fooled before by situations where people begin to open up, nothing happens, and then all of a sudden, several weeks later, things start exploding on you. So we got to be careful; we don't prematurely judge that.
1: Yes. So we can't open up. We can't open up because even if we open up, you don't know it's going to happen in a couple of weeks. Corona could could spring out from behind, you know, a building or the bushes or whatever. If some people get together in bars or whatever you're doing the same thing in here in the UK, Boris yeah, is saying yes. the same thing. Yes. One week it's, oh, we're going to open up, freedoms are freedoms around the corner, and then it's like, whoa, whoa, maybe not, maybe not. The numbers are concerning us this week. Maybe we should slow it down a little bit. Let's get that traffic light system.
0: Well, going. in fact, I saw headlines uh, over the last couple of days uh, because Chris Whitty has been put on, uh, on uh, the resignation watch uh, because uh, there's an argument between him and, uh, and Boris allegedly about how fast the lockdown lockdown is being lifted. Uh, He wants to see the whole thing being pulled back and made much uh, slower, uh, is what the headlines are saying. So this is all sort of just sitting in the background waiting to bite us, uh, that uh, somebody's narrative will gain the upper hand and before we know it, we're back to square one again.
1: Why would you want to extend lockdown, Mike? What would be the uh, motivation for that? Let me just guess. To get more vaccines done, right? Right. That's really, at the end of the day, it's not about COVID. It's about mass vaccinations, and it always has been. And behavioral change. From the beginning.
0: Yes. Um, so, Biden then? Well, you heard
1: about Fauci talking about the COVID community core mic here. So this is exactly what he was referring to here. This is Kamala Harris, the vice president here. She's, she's cackling, as she normally does. And this is about pulling people, union leaders, church leaders, veterans, athletes from the NFL, NBA, NASCAR, even the, the racing cars, the, as you know, it's a, it's a healthy redneck sport, has been co-opted into the new normal. Can you believe it? It's a woke sport now, race car driving in America. So th- so this is it, the community core, and this is what Kamala Harris is saying. You are the people that folks on the ground know and rely on and have a history with, says uh, Vice President Harris. And when people are then making the decision to get vaccinated, they're going to look to you. So isn't this what is happening in the UK as yes. well? Yes. Same exact program.
0: Lenny Henry and and the like. So it's
1: getting drafting in the celebrities, the athletes, to convince people to get vaccinated because the people aren't convinced, Mike. So this is just massive propaganda. Of course, we're going to also give this a Goebbels Blue Rosetta uh, as well here. So it's really concerning, Mike, what's going on here with the level of propaganda. And I want to also point to a great article. Again, one of the best I've, I've read yet to date by a, a writer named Mike Whitney. This is up on Global Research right here. Let's take a look at that. And so the headline is, you refuse to get vaccinated, but are you ready to be an outcast? This was just a couple of days ago, and we'll look at uh, what Mike Whitney's written here. The only way that people can offer their informed consent for vaccination is if they're able to weigh the risks and the benefits for themselves. But that's only possible if they have access to many diverse sources of information, which at present they don't. Fair assessment there. They have to go to alternative media to, to get that uh, as well. So increasingly, the only message that most people hear is one that is provided by the government in collaboration with industry, honchos, and other elites. And he goes on as well uh, to describe this a lopsided nationwide public relations blitz that has relentlessly glorified uh, vaccines while deliberately excluding even the slightest criticism from respected professionals, including top scientists, I might add, um, does not respect the rights of the people. It's brainwashing, pure and simple." I think that's a a pretty fair assessment, Mike. There's so much in this article. It's excellent, and you can really take away a lot, as well as with the conservative uh, w- women article as well that we showed yes uh, earlier so um, w- this is totally unprecedented we're seeing this this unprecedented effort globally by corporations government and the media to get people vaccinated meanwhile the the pandemic according to the numbers if there was one it sort of peaked one last April mm-hmm. right beginning of last April and here we are a year later they're requiring people to wear masks So to give the visual symbolism that there is a crisis or is a pandemic, Mm. lots of masks and other visual reminders. This is what I think is going on right now. Great article by Mike Whitney.
0: Yes. Well, let's uh, move on to this from the activist post. Now, of course, Israel has been uh, probably leading the way with vaccination, with masks, with uh, their uh, new normal, Uh, but their new normal seems to include exclusion of citizens from what might be expected to be a normal Uh, sort of remembrance event? More
1: than that, Mike, Israel is the beta test for the vaccine passport. They're literally running a two-tier society right now. The unvaccinated do not get access to venues, most stores, and are being fired from their jobs. Mm. So they're really strict on this. And so the Holocaust Remembrance Day as well, the non-vaccinated are not welcome, even if they are theoretically a Holocaust survivor. Mm. They would not be welcome under the new regime. They're absolutely strict. So Israel has been signaling to the globalists, uh, whoever is you know front-running this campaign, that they are the standard for vaccine passports, that they will enforce a two-tier society uh, in Israel amongst Israelis. Ironically, this is a country that has pioneered the concept of apartheid. So it's actually, to me, not surprising at all that we're seeing them roll this out with such uh, incredible precision. Mm-hmm. So.
0: Uh, okay, let's move on to another subject then, and uh, the question of the recent Facebook hack. Now, many people may not know that Facebook was hacked uh, recently. Uh, and uh, if you want to know whether you have been uh, a victim of this, if you want to use that word, uh, this website, have I been pawned, is, uh, will give you the information. I put my mobile phone number into that uh, today, and uh, oh dear, I have uh, my details have been uh, found. So uh, let's have a look and see what it says. Uh, Facebook in April 2021 a large data set of over 500 million Facebook users was made freely available for download on the internet encompassing approximately 20% of Facebook subscribers. The data was allegedly obtained by exploiting a vulnerability Facebook advises they rectified in August 2019. The primary value of the data is the association of phone numbers to identities whilst each record included phone Uh, only 2.5 million records included an email address, just 2.5 million. Uh, Most records contain names and genders with many also including dates of birth, location, relationship status and employer. So that's quite significant from a uh, potential uh, identity theft point of view but the problem is that Facebook is really taking a pretty bad attitude to it. So as Reuters is reporting here yesterday, Facebook does not plan to notify uh, half billion users affected by the leak. Um, they're basically saying, to hell with that. So I wondered yesterday what could be done about it since I'm personally affected by it. Uh, I got onto the information commissioner's office. They're supposed to look after data protection uh, and manage uh, companies that are handling data and deal with these kinds of issues. Um, so what did they tell me on the phone? Uh, well, first of all, I have to contact the company concerned, Facebook. Now I did that. And if anybody wants to do that, What you need to look for, because it's very hard to find, is the form which allows you to contact the Data Protection Officer. Uh, It does exist, but it takes a long time to get to. It's buried. It is very much buried. Um, Once you've contacted the Data Protection Officer, uh, you then have to give Facebook 30 days uh, to respond. uh, And only then can you, in fact, complain to the Information Commissioner. Uh, At that point then, uh, your complaint will go in a queue. Uh, for 3 months at least before it will actually be uh, categorized in some form whether it goes to the top of the queue or the bottom of the queue they can't say but it'll be 3 months before it's even looked looked at to decide on a priority so the information commissioner uh really uh can't say that they're letting the side down because i think this was probably the intention from the beginning whether it's because they're underfunded or they don't have enough staff whatever it is the point is they are completely incapable of dealing with these types of data breaches and holding companies to account when they lose their data in this way. Uh, and for me, the issue isn't so much the fact that data was lost, it's the fact that Facebook is not reacting to that in any way. They're not informing anybody that it has happened. They're not telling anybody what specific data uh, has gone. They on, don't care. They don't care. Uh, and it seems to me the Information Commissioner has a role to enforce the Data Protection Act in this case, uh, and, uh, well, really, they're not going to bother. Uh, you've got to follow the procedures, dot all the I's, cross the T's. It's going to take months, uh, by which time, well, goodness knows how many uh, identities will be stolen or uh, used in, for nefarious purposes. So
1: the whole data project, project, uh, protection regime and all that, it's, a lot of it is just a complete sham, isn't it? I mean, well, uh, they, I, they made a big palava out of it, but, you know, what can they really do? What are they really doing with it? Facebook doesn't seem to care either.
0: My view of the data protection uh, infrastructure in this country and in all countries is is that the Information Commissioner maintains effectively a register of databases. Um, So at some point in the future, so the Information Commissioner knows who's holding records, what kind of records they're holding, uh, and at some point in the future, uh, when government wants to invade our privacy even further, Um, they will know exactly where the data that they want access to is held. That's what my view of it is. It's not there to protect my personal information.
1: The size of that hack, Mike, and and the motivation behind it, last thing, do you think that was a state actor or was it a rogue hacker in the basement? Uh, I,
0: I, I know what it was because I'm already receiving text messages. I'm receiving on a daily basis now text messages on my mobile phone, which I wasn't receiving before this hack. Um, which is uh, telling me that it could be that uh, uh, a, a parcel from Royal Mail wasn't delivered. And I've got to click this link in order to uh, re- or arrange re-delivery, or it was that my password uh, has been lost with my online bank account. Click this link and so on. So it's these types of emails. You've got to click on a link and then, of course, they uh, verify certain bits of information which go together with the information they already have. So they're really uh, fishing for additional information that goes with the personal information that they already have.
1: Huge operation. Yes,
0: a huge operation, yeah.
1: Yes, so the issue of masks, uh, this is obviously a big problem everywhere you go, masks on the ground, masks in the ocean, pollution everywhere. People are just chucking them all over the place. I mean, you walk right out your door, most people, they'll see masks on the ground, right? Yes. Just totally disused and, and left wherever. You've got a solution. Well, the, I don't, but Klaus Schwab does. Ah, oh, good. Take a look at the World uh, Economic Forum here. This is their new smart mask. Look at this, Mike. This is wonderful. This is from their Global Technology Governance Summit. Summit here, and so this is uh, this has got multiple layers. That's a, a CO two regulator that will tell you if you're getting uh, the right amount of oxygen, if there's too much CO two buildup, and it's going to communicate with your smartphone. So it's 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 hooked up to an app. So it'll be reporting data real time, constantly, about your oxygen, CO2 intake, and that will be obviously be processed by somebody, right? Right. Probably in the app. So Klaus will have all of the data of how much you breathe and whatnot, and it's got reusable inserts here. Those are sustainable, we're told, so they're Greta-friendly, you can change them. And so this is what's called the smart mask, and this is what they're pioneering for the long-term use of masks. So they're planning for people to be using masks for years for years okay with this advanced technology and then this is obviously playing well with the woke crowd because they're like well we don't want to pollute the ocean with the masks none of these brainwaves are even thinking maybe we shouldn't be wearing masks no 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 they're like let's just get a better mask so this is the insanity of this whole thing right now but i mean that's just something else isn't it so but there are there is a petition with regards to masks in schools in the uk this is a new petition. We encourage people to go take a look at this and please read it. Uh, share it if you are compelled by what it says. But it's about a ban on the use of face masks in schools. Should children be wearing this? Uh, 100,000 tr- uh, signatures tr- triggers a debate uh, in the Commons, Mike. Yes. So that's kind of an important issue. Kids are being forced to wear masks in schools, even though children are at statistically zero risk of ever getting ill from the dreaded COVID-19.
0: And of course, that's another example of one where they said that they were going to do something and then they walked back from it. So they said, well, kids won't have to wear masks after the Easter holidays. And then they suddenly said, oh, well, actually, we're going, to, we're going to make them wear masks after Easter after all. Uh, it, I always found it uh, ironic that they were doing this, uh, bearing in mind that at the same time that children are being encouraged to wear masks, and most of these masks contain plastics or they're made of plastic, uh, of course, the children are also being, barred, being bombarded with the message that uh, plastic pollution is extremely dangerous for the environment, uh, but there's no hypocrisy in that position whatsoever.
1: I saw, I saw a, a, a documentary last thing, Mike, from, from one of the African countries. The kids are wearing these old blue grubby masks mm. or literally homemade stuff. How hygienic is that? How healthy is that? People in this country are wearing lousy masks. They'd literally stick them in their pocket, could mm-hmm. have mold, bacteria, who knows what. And that's what they're breathing in. So this is not healthy. It's actually posing a risk, I think, uh, to children breathing in microfibers. There's a whole list of risks there. But the children are at zero risk of COVID. So what is this other than legalized abuse of children? I think, is that an extreme thing to say? I actually don't think it is. People need to think about this sort of stuff.
0: They they do, yes. Okay, well, we have to leave it there for today. Thank you very much for joining us, uh, Patrick. Thank you for joining us. And uh, we will be back at the same time as usual, 1 p.m. on Monday. Hope you have a great weekend, and uh, we'll see you then. Bye-bye.